0: for listening to series one of the media careers podcast we've had such amazing feedback and it's been brilliant to hear how the advice and guidance from our guests has supported and inspired you so much i also just wanted to flag the show notes to you again there are direct contact links to our guests within them as well as links to other companies and organizations who can support and guide you further so please don't forget to check those out as well And finally, I have one small favour to ask you. Please could you press the small button to either follow or subscribe to the podcast so we can reach even more people who can hear from these amazing media professionals. Thank you so much and I really hope you enjoy series two. Chris Williams is the Grouped Projects Director at ES Broadcast. Having studied at Ravensbourne University, he started out at Pearson Thames working on Channel 5. From there, he was invited to set up the farm group as head of engineering. After that, he moved on to Technicolor for Disney, then Arts Alliance Media, then decided to step into freelancing in engineering and project management. The freelancing world introduced him to C2S, where Chris spent nine years as a freelance engineer, taking him all around the world on various projects. In September 2021, Chris was then invited to set up the systems division for ES Broadcast, where he is still today an area that chris is extremely passionate about is neurodiversity and i know that this is a subject that we will explore in some detail today chris welcome to the media careers podcast
1: hello hello how are you
0: i'm oh, good thank you how are you
1: very very good indeed excited to do this this is yeah. great uh, this is uh, this is good stuff this
0: like good it. well we're really pleased that you're joining us so thank you for taking the time very welcome very welcome so chris as you might know on this podcast what we like to try and do is explore what our industry guests were like as a young person and then kind of see what their trajectory was like through their education and then on into the industry so can you remember what you were like as a young person did you have any particular interests or hobbies
1: first thing i have to say to make me sound extremely old is is back then things were a bit different i know that every generation can say the same but uh but it was all of my sort of growing of, of where i wanted to go into into careers and stuff like that was was all uh sort of pre-internet so yeah uh, but so and as a, as a kid yeah i mean. Yeah, I can remember that far, and, and it was very different. But I think there's there's more opportunities now. I think, and, and particularly things like this that give people sort of a, a step start to, to kind of um, to to kind of help them on their way. I think there's there's more opportunities for that. So yeah,
0: um, definitely. that's good.
1: That's yeah,
0: good. it is good. Yeah, having access to information easily is
1: information awesome. is key. Yeah. Information is key. Yeah.
0: And, and were you academic, Chris?
1: I think um, for for me, it was I was just interested in tech stuff.
0: I think was, was. were you and was that from an early age as well was that kind, kind was. of from like the primary school age as well
1: you yeah yeah it yeah. was I was I was a tinkerer I was uh, always um anything that my parents would give me I would to their despair I would take apart and uh, rarely put back together again so everyone <laughs> just pointed to me and went oh engineer and I was like what is an engineer and everyone would say oh you'll find out one day and I was like uh,
0: okay <laughs> I'll,
1: I'll, I'll, one day somebody will tell me what on earth an engineer is but yeah yeah, I think I kind of was really, but I think in a classic way, it was, it was maths and, and uh, chemistry and physics and um, anything sort of technical and yeah, I kind of like that stuff really.
0: But yeah. school was kind of a, a, kind of a reasonably easy process for you in that regard and those subjects that you were enjoying?
1: I think so, yeah, because yeah. at that stage I started to see, see uh, sort of early hints of people saying, oh yeah, it's obvious what you're going to be, uh, let me help you in your direction. And I was like, well... I will trust these people I don't know very well and go go on then <laughs> and it was like yeah all right sounds good but yeah I mean it, it just that was it really I was always taking stuff apart I was always playing with things I mean back then you know you, it was it was a different world if you were technical you'd play with computers and you wouldn't mm-hmm. really take anything apart a computer itself was was pretty heavy going to to, to do anything other than just program on and, uh, and these days, there's so many more opportunities for, for kids to mess around with tech at an early age, like mm. you know, mess around with Raspberry Pis and the maker movement and all that kind of stuff, which is awesome. Um, yeah. um, but back then, it was sort of programming and not much else. So mm. technical was, was quite simple, I suppose, back then
0: yeah and what's great. interesting Chris as, as well is that people identified those attributes in you like without you even knowing that there was this potential career path you were just you were just doing what you enjoyed but other people were noticing actually those qualities could lend you very easily to a particular career path that involved engineering so that's quite interesting that other people were guiding you rather than you thinking about well actually what am I interested in and does is there a career for this it was already yeah. preordained in that way by the fact. yeah
1: and even back then it was uh we were sort of teachers uh, we were relying on teachers yeah so i think which is uh something we'll probably come on to but but it was i think that's still the key i think really mm. a lot of it is down to down to schools
0: yeah so you so you moved on to do a levels
1: you- i did the classic stuff at our school was maths physics and chemistry and i sort of rocked the boat and said well, you know what i kind of like design and they said well design's not a particularly academic sort of uh, sort of direction and i was like well it felt like it was because it fitted well into what i thought was an engineer which i mean <laughs> i i was the only one in my year doing that combo oh so
0: really that's yeah, interesting yeah
1: it was it was weird because it was like um, you either did sort of the you know design and art and stuff uh, or you did something uh sort of mass physics chemistry mass mm. physics chem was the standard for a sort of we it wasn't very creative back there for for, for that And and there weren't a huge amount of a levels that were kind of diverse i suppose there weren't they were very very classic back then
0: Mm. Very, very and curious. also, what's interesting about that is the divide between the two that, that never the twain should meet creatives over here and technicals over here. And actually, I, know, I know, how bonkers I know. is
1: I know. that, <laughs> I know, which is uh, weirdly where we might end up at the end of the chat, but yeah, no, you're yeah. absolutely right. You know, it yeah. was basically you either did this or you did that, and mm-hmm. I, I kind of, um, I did it because I just wouldn't want to let go of the, the design side of stuff. I mm-hmm. loved it, yeah, absolutely loved it, good and it was, um. Yeah, I did okay at it because I loved it so much and the the maths and physics and to me, maths, physics and design was quite a good combo. And I think maybe these days it could well be because I think, you know, as as we see in all our engineers, we, we actually see our best engineers as very creative souls. Yeah. Yeah, you
0: have to be, right? Yeah, yeah,
1: I mean, when you're sitting around a bar and buried in the the back end of Lagos and you're talking about your hobbies and realise that 90% of the people play a a musical instrument or they are the keen photographers or something like that, you realise that actually some of the best engineers you get are really creative people. And, yeah. um, and that's really important.
0: And, and Chris, were you aware of the media industry at this point? Or was the conversation around engineering kind of leaning you towards manufacturing kind of engineering? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah it was absolutely You're so spot on. I mean, in the in media industry, no, not at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it was um, television was created. It was it was it came out of this mysterious box in the corner of the room. And uh, you didn't ever question it. I, it was nobody ever thought about where it came from. It was made by other people, parents knew nothing more than either what they did for a living or what their friends did for a living or what people in the village did for a living teachers were our our best bet I think really because they did ultimately want us to have careers but media industry no not at all never mentioned didn't come up at all and it was um if you did find it you might find a a scruffy old prospectus at the bottom shelf in the in the sort of the careers room and I you know And then, yes, a prospectus to the new generation does mean a website, but it was a copied piece of paper, stapled together poorly and scrambled up and um, maybe a really bad photo on the front page. Um, And is that
0: how you found Ravensbourne then? Because you went to Ravensbourne. Did you do that straight after your A-levels? Is that, was that kind of the the next step for you educationally or did you have a
1: gap? So I I fought my career. I I kind of, um, I went went, uh, rogue to try and get my career my path was weird and lucky. Um, it, I did went on to Durham, uh, uni after that, but at Durham uni, I was very much heading towards again, very classic engineering, manufacturing engineering. It was where I was going. It was classic. It was electric, electrical, electronic. And, um, it was it was really my love of theater that le- didn't let me go of, of any of that. I was spending a, all my spare time in theater. I was doing technical theater, lighting sounds, all sorts of stuff to do with that and anything else that was fancy around theater. And um, I was had a heading towards the end of my Durham times and I was thinking I, I am not massively excited by the next step of my career.
0: So you got all uh, the way to your the end of your degree
1: then almost? Yeah, yeah, uh, because it was all just a very classic kind of mm. a career, a classic education direction. Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. it was literally back then. It was a conveyor belt. You weren't really encouraged to um, change it. to Be honest no. with you, it was like don't interfere with those that know. And that was nothing against the people at the time. It was like. That's just how it was.
0: Mm, well, and they were following on the skill sets and the attributes of that course. you were showing as well, right? And if they yeah. and as you said, if they're not informed about the breadth of opportunity that there is around engineering and technical skill sets, then no. they're going to push. They know that you've got skill, you know, talent and yeah. ability and skill sets. Yeah. So this is the path that you should follow. So totally yeah, makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. They would yeah. apply
1: it to uh, to what they thought was the best career opportunity for you. I remember one of the first triggers was basically I was up at Durham. They were um, they they were filming something in durham cathedral and um everyone said oh have you seen what's going on up on up on the green so i went up and i went up there and there was a city of uh ob trucks
0: <laughs> and i was
1: like oh my god this is so cool and i started talking to the people and and uh, and you know telly people being telly people they were happy to chat i was uh, you know sat outside the trucks just chatting to people thinking this is awesome how do i get into it and they said well there's you know colleges around and but most of us has got in through weird and wonderful ways and back then it was a again getting into telly was a very classic way you know if you were in engineering you'd go through sort of the bbc training or if you didn't get into bbc training you'd have to sort of fight your way in or or hope that somebody knew somebody that knew somebody that could get you in or some work experience or a friend of a parent or something like that mm-hmm. um but then there was no other direction so i kind of Went back to the library and thought, nah, there's got to be something more to this. And researched and researched and researched and found this college that nobody had ever heard on called Ravensbourne, which mm-hmm. was down, down in Bromley. And um, did, did a lot of research on it. A short version was I ended up just going down for an open day um, and just loved it. I, I was hooked. Absolutely hooked. I thought this could well be my direction. But Teddy suddenly came up as like, you know what, Teddy looks good. So I'm thinking, let's pursue telly. So I went down to Ravensbourne for a couple of years. Everybody thought I was mad. Ravensbourne was it back then. So we had a a live day, so Ravensbourne On Air, where we basically uh, dummied up the station to be at the actual station for the day. Everybody was invited down from the industry to come down and some pick and choose people. Uh, It It was was a big
0: showcase of talent, right? It
1: It was awesome. Back then it was the way to get something and then amazingly some people came down from a company called Thames Television to set up a weird thing called Channel 5. I thought, well, <laughs> that sounds interesting. What is Channel Five? Well, it's the last terrestrial that had all this the catchwords, the last terrestrial station that the uh, the country will ever see. And uh, they obviously knew a lot more than I did back then. I do not understand why it couldn't be the last because they could just add another button on the telly. But you know, <laughs> I, didn't make any, <laughs> I had any buttons on the telly when I grew up. So I thought, well, that's, there's still a few left on that, surely. But um but yeah, and then went into telly, and then literally just went in, and then that's yeah, and that was yeah. I mean, that's the story.
0: I mean, that's so fascinating Chris because had you not done there's so many ifs and buts in that story had you not kind of done your research had you not kind of seen Ravensbourne as what kind of one of the places that you could go to get a career in television had you just kind of not followed your interests in terms of kind of creatively like media and theatre you could have ended up in manufacturing and gone on a whole different career path right there's so many kind of yeah moments of sliding doors of god what
1: this it is, all
0: it, not been possible
1: it really was and, and, and i think regularly because I, I do some mentoring as well and i, I like to sort of uh, help careers anybody youngsters to uh, progress on their careers and you kind of start thinking about what sort of advice you can offer them going forward and i think i think what i the first thing i like to try and do is translate it into what is now Um, Because Mm. my story was very much based. It was a story of its time. Mm. You know, if I had Googled something when I was 16, I would have had a completely different career. I may not have even gone to uni. I Mm. may have gone straight to Ravensbourne, straight into Telly and may have done a very different thing. I mean, I'm actually glad I didn't because I learned a lot at uni that I now apply to my current career.
0: And so you go on to work for Channel 5 as your first role. Yes. Was it everything that you hoped it would be, having kind of studied at uni and studied at Ravensbourne? Did it feel like you'd found your people and your tribe and your mission and your hopes for what a career might be?
1: Yeah, very much so. And again, it was uh, stuff was starting to make sense back then. It was I think it was partly due to. Things uh, started to, to slot together in a, quite a spooky way. Like, for example, Ravensbourne was built by the Thames engineering team. And that was a coincidence. I, I mean, they came down to Ravensbourne because they knew some of the people there. But that was still a bit of a coincidence. Uh, mm. And that was and it, so stuff I started to see about how they did stuff. Uh, I recognized, you know, even down to how they did labeling on on walls. They used the same templates that they'd used at Ravensbourne it it was a very sort of thing of the time because back then it was you'd come in as the the, the junior but as a classic junior my uh, the next person older than me was about 10-15 years older than me at that point I was surrounded by people who were I worked out very quickly were uh, quite simply I just called them the elite they were the, the best they worked so well together and they came up with such clever ideas and I thought I'm gonna do really well to listen to these people. Mm. And I, it was really obvious to me.
0: And Chris, had you when you were looking at these elite team members who were kind of the best of the best, had you thought about the trajectory of your career after you'd got into Thames? Were you like, right, okay, so they're fifteen years ahead of me, they're the elite, that's where I'm going and I'm gonna stay here and, and follow a linear path to get to their position or how did you start to navigate kind of your next move in terms of progression and, and moving on in your career?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I think um, it was very simple for me back then. I just wanted to be them. Yeah, I, I don't think I could see any further than that at, that at that stage.
0: No, But you did eventually get invited to set up the the head, be the head of engineering at the farm group, right? So eventually a, di- did. a new opportunity did yeah. arise. So was that an easy decision for you to kind of move on?
1: no it wasn't at all because mm. I had a great job
0: yeah and obviously a great team but it's what's like... coming through to me is this like love of the team that you were with and actually it was delivering everything you wanted from your career not, so it, not, it must have been yeah. a difficult decision
1: I know and I've been with them forever and I say mm. forever back then that was two years but that was forever <laughs> <which>
0: was <it. laughs> yeah, absolutely it's
1: forever. It's... the whole of my life I'd, most of my life i had been there with them and it was like well <laughs> i had been there with them for uh, like two two and a bit years I think two or three years and then um I met the fantastic Dave Klafkowski, who basically was channel manager at the time. We got on really well because we were always the ones that just wanted to, we was the pair that wanted to kind of just do th- things a bit differently. And we really clicked. I remember his proposal. He said, um, So you've got a really good job. Do you want to throw it all away and go do something completely mad? And I was like, <laughs> uh, Tell me more. So he said, Right. So there's these really cool people that are going to be backed by a company called WPP to set up a brand new post house in the center of Soho as cocky as you like, but a cocky with attitude and like, you know, we're going to go in there all guns blazing and do something phenomenal. And back then it was just a sort of, um, you know, I I didn't know the crew particularly well, but now I know them in retrospect thinking that was exactly, absolutely achievable for that lot a phenomenal bunch. And uh, I was invited in to be head of engineering for that. And eventually I got my notice and they were like, you know what? I think that kind of, falls into one of my sort of things of, of making sure that and I have to say this carefully it is important to get noticed I think it's um to get your career moving forward it is important to get noticed but in the right way
0: mm. and how uh, would you do that if you were advising some young people who are just starting out in their career or or who are about to enter the industry how do you go about being noticed without sounding like you're being big-headed or arrogant or
1: yeah, absolutely right I, I think um, yeah, no, you're absolutely right and, 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 it, and that's why I say carefully uh, so get noticed because I think get noticed does not mean the loudest one in the room and the shoutiest and, the, and the, the gobbiest and the people that notice the right kind of standing out are the people that really notice uh, number one they notice graft mm. and the relevance of what anybody thinks and how the world has changed it's still the number one what anybody ever looks at if you want a long good career that grows well and and you get noticed by the right people you can't beat graft and graft is always the number one for me and i graft comes in all shapes and and, and, uh, and sizes but i think ultimately you've got to steer your graft as well you've got to make sure that you know you've got to graft on the stuff that you hate doing and you've got to steer it towards grafting on the stuff that you love doing and both are sort of tactical and you need to do it in a clever way but not Mm -hmm. a devious way because people spot that as well you need to be a good team player and I think that's that's really important to to just work hard get noticed and and stick close by and identify the people that are going to look after you you need to look at what kind of person a manager is looking for and some of that is pretty straightforward what is a manager going to want they're going to want somebody that works hard doesn't give them any hassle can take some of their problems off off their plate and is is somebody that works well with other people it's there's not much more to it than that to mm.
0: be when with. you say it kind of like that it, sa- it doesn't sound complex in any shape or form it actually sounds quite simple doesn't it and i think that's a really good thing to remember actually i
1: think it is mm. i think it is uh i just graft and don't be an idiot you know I, <laughs> if you want to have it once the motto ended. of
0: this podcast <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely graft <laughs> and don't be an idiot i mean be
1: you know be wanted be be uh, be desired you know be be somebody that that you know when somebody's picking their team that they will pick you
0: yeah <laughs> and also chris that graft has got you through so, like obviously enabled you to have such a brilliant career you you obviously went on to do lots of other different brilliant work with different companies that has led you to where you are now at es broadcast yeah. i'd love i'd love yeah. to you to just explain a little bit about what your job ES broadcast actually involves. Could you tell? Well, us?
1: yes, of course. I'm a projects director. My training is as an engineer. I'm doing not a huge amount of engineering anymore, and that doesn't upset me because i sort of joining all the other bits together. I'm, I'm managing people who are engineering. Occasionally, we'll sit down and have a bit of a geek out of a whiteboard for something that somebody can't solve. But as an engineer, you can't ever let go of that. But it's um but it's good to do that now. So where I'm at now is is I'm um, my my background as an engineer took me into a lot of project uh, management because I kind of ended up liking things to be in, in order. It was starting to wanting stuff just to be ordered and stuff to go well. And I think everything around the project management side of stuff ended up becoming really interesting to me. And I think that's when I moved from engineering. I, I was dipping in and out of between engineering and project management. So altern- doing a bit of both, really, for, for some for quite a large chunk of my career. Probably the most chunk of my career was, was doing a bit of both. Either engineering, project management, or project managing, engineering. And so it's nice to be able to have that skills. And even down to when you're project managing people that, that um when you have those technical skills or bits of knowledge, and this is why I say learn everything, graft and learn everything. You might go, somebody might turn around and say, "Wow, that that, that can't, can't be done like that because of this and this." And they go, "Well, no, that's going to be ten days, not five days that you quoted for." And you turn around and say, "Well, actually, if you uh, if you do this, that, and t'other and turn that upside down and put that in sideways, and then that uh, connects to that, and they do that and that, that because I did that last week." And they go, "Oh no, yeah, <laughs> yeah, all right, yeah, you're right." And that those silly little things all come together. So I think it's. Um, so I think what I'm doing now is, um, so I'm Group Projects Director. So uh, John and I set up the SI division. We got invited to set up the SI division about six years ago at ES Broadcast. And from us two to, uh, we're about, I think, 30 in our division now. A large part of that has been sort of growth management and, and growth growth management is is great fun yeah, there's so much involved in growth management uh, everything mm-hmm. from the people to the uh, the technical to commercial to to structural to and, and everything and then you've got everything that comes with the larger side of stuff like governance and it, it all starts to come together um so growing that side of the, the business has been fantastic and so john's now cto i'm now group projects director uh, now I run sort of 50% of it running the SI, so managing the SI management team. So we've got some great managers in there now. And the other 50% is, is uh, me looking after group projects. Just delivered our headquarters down in uh, Watford. And that was, again, you know, project doing a building. You were, again, just learn everything. I, I've learned a lot about buildings, again, from when somebody's, uh, you know, when we were doing an installation in a building, the electrician would be sitting there wiring stuff up in a certain way and I'd stick over his shoulder, his shoulder and be that little annoying kid and go, why are you doing it like that? And I was like, well, <laughs> that's interesting. And if you find the right person, they'll sit down and go, you know what? you got five minutes. I'll tell you. Yeah. And you'd learn and then you'd, you'd park that. You'd put that in your little uh, in your knowledge bucket and you'd yeah. pick that up for five years later and then, you know, 10 years later, you might be managing a, a team that's actually delivering that for you. Yeah, and you're you've working got that much better understanding. Yeah. yeah. And that's why joining all the dots together just is uh, is pretty cool.
0: Bringing all of those brilliant skill sets together. Chris, I know that you had a significant event a couple of years ago in terms of neurodiversity and and finding out that you've got ADHD. Yes. And I know that that was something you really wanted to talk about today as well in terms of your journey with understanding how, how ADHD has impacted you personally and your career and the way that you've managed your life how did you go about finding out that you had adhd and what and why did you decide to do that recently
1: so uh, it's a really good question and uh it starts with a really uh pot- it's a potentially naff story i'll be honest with you um <laughs> go I, on give it to us <laughs> uh, the one-liner is i worked out i had adhd with tiktok and that's uh that but that comes with a caveat and i will okay. expand on that okay. um so basically in lockdown ironically because i was uh i was quite adhd i was one of the the people that really suffered for socially for lockdown and I I it drove me mad the, the the disconnection from people absolutely killed me and I ended up replacing it with TikTok yes 52 going on 17 <laughs> and I just loved it to bits because I didn't realize at the time that uh, TikTok and ADHD is is a, an interesting uh, relationship in itself but actually That kind of, I started looking at stuff going, oh, this is interesting. And TikTok being what it is, it started to feed me just a daily stream of people around the world, real people who had ADHD. But the thing I was interested in more than anything was adult ADHD, because it's a very interesting part of of ADHD in itself that actually adult ADHD is, is a lot more different than childhood ADHD than you'd imagine, than most people would imagine it is something that basically somebody is, you generally get to the stage where you sort of found it out and then you start coping with it. But, mm. so, but, um, I'm doing a classic ADHD thing. And I'm going off tangent. So I'll come back on, on target. <laughs> and basically, so, um, so I looked into it a lot and did a lot of reading, uh, which again, ironically, is very ADHD. i sort of hyper-focused and on, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you why I didn't think it was ADHD to start with, which is weird because again, and this is something that I'm, Really hoping to develop over the next few years that that is is an education around particularly neurodiversity and adults is needs a complete re-education on what people think it is mm. and how to cope with it. And for me, there's there's a there's clearly a massive future in educating people, employers and employees around neurodiversity, and it's something that I have every intention of doing a lot of work on uh, and and sort of getting people around me to, to to make that happen. But I think people who are Actually, now I know I'm ADHD. We'll probably start to see bits of this interview that how I can easily go off on tangents, and that's exactly <laughs> how my brain works. The thing about that is that I then kind of thought, well, let's do a bit more research on it. Then, and then I kind of thought, well, let's get a proper diagnosis um, because it's very easy for people to say, oh, I've got this and I've got that and got that. And I think that's quite important that people kind of this this part of the thing that I want to kind of educate that people. There's nothing wrong with people getting a hunch of what they might want to do, but then please go on and get something formally diagnosed because mm-hmm. that's, you can't live with the thought that you've just found something on TikTok and then believe that you're ADHD for the rest of your life. That's not healthy for anybody. And when I say ADHD, that I, I, covers obviously all, I, I, that, that that's the same for all neurodiversity, whether you're talking ADHD, autism, mm-hmm. um, dyslexia, all, all, all the different uh, flavors. But basically um, I bit the bullet and decided to get a formal diagnosis privately, uh, which cost me an absolute small fortune but then I came out of it with a solid diagnosis and a, an absolute yes, you have absolutely uh, adult ADHD. And I think the two key things that came out of there for me was that one of them was like, yes, it's very different in adults. And, and B, I think it is particularly ADHD. And I can only really talk for ADHD. My my, my wife's autistic, but um, so that's an interesting household. I'll tell you, <laughs> but uh, it, it kind of meant that, that actually uh, gosh, I've lost my train of thought now oh, Sorry, uh, very ADHD no sorry.
0: Right. um so I ask you another question uh I've got a question I can ask you, you yeah go for it back to yeah it. I'll, I'll come back to it so yeah come back to it. so Chris is it always the case that if you have childhood ADHD that you'll go on to have adult ADHD or can you just get ADHD in adulthood
1: uh, thank you. Yeah, uh, that is uh, that is uh, the, what you just experienced. There was a classic ADHD moment. So uh, actually, that has reminded me of where I was going with that. That is basically um, the, the the thing that that was really down to ADHD was the fact that you um, it is really badly named. So it's not uh, it's not really attention. It, there's, there's a talk about regulating it to be attention regulation disorder, which is basically down to um, the the main thing that that people generally hear about with ADHD, particularly because it comes in with the kids, and that's. won't go there because that's a a very different story but the classic assumption with ADHD is that they are um, probably low functioning which is not the case Mm. Um, and even then all the naming conventions are starting to change low functioning high functioning Uh, I think for me personally I I do quite like that terminology in terms of low functioning high functioning I think um, and I think it's quite important to call it functioning rather than achieving or anything else because I think that's just it's built into you so I think you're looking at potentially high-functioning ADHD, so basically what they call executive function and stuff, but they do doing standard things that that you would do during the day, um, you're able to basically be pretty normal, i.e. have a normal life with ADHD that enables you to basically still have things like hyperfocus, which is um, if you have special interests, you're able to basically do extremely well out of them. So I think rolling back to how it, it... manifests in childhood there was i one i was very honest with my person and said look I, I didn't have any diagnosis of this no hints of it when i was younger so how come i'm seeing hints of it now and he said that's quite common and It's one of the misconceptions that you can see very uh, you know because you may have had the ability to potentially have enough special interest for people to be able to you latch onto those to be able to do good on that my special interest was probably engineering. Mm. So I did okay at engineering. So everything else that I wasn't particularly awesome at, it didn't really matter. But as a kid, if you were very good at something, people didn't really pay too much attention to you not doing very well. You were just doing well at something. So you'd probably end up having a career. Mm. So that's kind of why effectively I didn't really have any hint of it being diagnosed until later because also as an adult, you just realize that they're parts of you and like anything, whether you're neurodiverse or not, um, you just deal with it as an adult and at that point you've you've it's more about learning learning about ADHD as an adult it's more about looking back on your history and going oh yeah that's how I coped and that mm. makes a lot more sense and you yeah. start to see patterns so I think um, for me a large amount of uh, neurodiversity now for moving forward is about education um, education for people that, um, that that have it potentially themselves and mm-hmm. I say potentially because it's important that it is potential until it's properly diagnosed. Really, really important. Can't stress that enough. And then understanding people who are uh, affected by neurodiverse people. So employers, we need to educate employers better to uh, to help them with toolkits. So mm-hmm. effectively what I'm hoping to do over the next few years is, um, is help develop in some form some toolkits with specialists and for them to be able to cope with that better. And I think, so I think, now i've got to my age adhd isn't it's a different kind of kind of eureka moment for me it's like oh yes that makes a lot of sense i'm mm. not really going to be changing a massive amount of things but i'm now more aware of people that are affected by my adhd yeah. as to how i need to i because i'm wary enough to be able to spot things now i i see things and go oh yeah that's me being adhd let me adjust that silly things like ADHD people, they have a, um, a real deficiency most of the time in I think, a thing called working memory, which is effectively ADHD people, as I've just beautifully demonstrated, live in permanent fear of forgetting what's in their head. So they scribble and scribble and scribble, they write notes for everything. And a silly side effect of that is they they can talk over people a lot, which is something that's very standard for many people that I know who have got ADHD. And it's nothing other than it's not them being rude. They are just terrified of that thought leaving their head. Mm. And so you go like so. If I'm sat in a meeting now, for example, and something comes into my head that I need to say now, I don't, I don't say it there and then. I scribble it down. So I literally, that's my my working memory is is my book. And from mm. day to day, it's it, I scribble on it, throw it away, scribble on it, throw it away, and it's and never more than a few pages relevant on my book. But that's my working memory. Mm. And again, finding out from other people, they do similar and they go, oh my God, yes, I've always written everything down. I wonder why that is like, well, that's because you're probably your working memory. Yeah. So it's it's more about developing tools. As an adult, I think you look at it and go, well, I've kind of got to this age and I've done okay. Uh, And particularly if you've been a high functioning ADHD, low functioning people are generally people that really struggle to do anything on a daily basis and they have it really hard. They have it really tough and that's a, a different category altogether. But I think just learning about it and, and again just an education uh, just teaching people from both sides what it's mm. all about mm. and that's just my experience with adhd and i think I, I may be completely out of line by saying this but out of adhd and autism i think adhd is probably the easier one to handle and certainly to have um autism i think is is a tougher one and i think um that deserves Um, loads of help as well for loads of assistance and in terms of an education as well like people that you know when people start to see what it's all about and understand what it's all about that they can Mm -hmm. be a bit more empathetic towards people with it and people with it can start to understand how their employers might be potentially dealing with it or how they might want to deal with it it's there's not nothing around it's just it's it's it feels very early days Mm. and um,
0: And Chris when you entered the industry that you felt as though your ADHD almost allowed you to find your tribe in a way that actually you've kind of felt as though you found your people and I think maybe they all they all relate together
1: this is exactly down to what I was saying about education so if you start to understand more about it you can see you can start to note traits around you and see what's going on and you can start to see what's going on around you seems to make a bit more sense now it's you know tv is is um isn't as is a great industry broadcast uh, and it's super social and i think it's not certainly driven by neurodiversity but i think a large part of neurodiversity is a large part of why it bonds so well it's one of those few industries that have seemed seemed to soak up all the people that didn't fit in anywhere else and it did feel very much like that i remember even going to media college it was just raven's there was so the diversity of characters within there you look at it and go how the heck can all these people into the going into the same industry and that you're looking at that thinking yeah I can go back and look at the people that I was at college with and think oh yeah I can absolutely guarantee I can put money on some of those people that I think that that, that would have been neurodiverse and go Mm. yeah that makes a lot of sense but I think there's a sort of connection there that I think I I think it's related it's very early days for me and it's something I'm going to explore a lot more but I think I'm, I'm reasonably confident that I think a large amount of why people within telly get on is because they all share a large amount of neurodiversity. And mm. I'm not saying that everyone in telly is neurodiverse, of course not. <laughs> but it's, you meet a lot of people that, that actually, you know, particularly, uh, I, I shit myself on the foot by saying this, but I think particularly us engineers, I think there's a large amount of neurodiversity in engineers. Mm. Yeah. And I think you know, they are generally brilliant. And so how do you handle somebody who's generally brilliant but a little bit different to the others if you know a little bit about how their brain works? If it's nothing close to a way that you would ever be able to think because you're literally wired differently. And I, and I say wired and a very carefully used word. You are wired differently. There's some things you can do nothing about mm. that you will never be able to understand how that person is wired how they were thinking on how they came to that process or how they behaved in that situation unless you're educated
0: yeah absolutely no no
1: other way you're never going to you're never going to be able to put themselves in their shoes and go well why didn't that person behave like that because you will never be wired like them
0: yeah absolutely yeah education is critical for this isn't it absolutely yeah Yeah. Yeah. well look chris thank you so much for sharing your story with us on your diagnosis we really appreciate it i think it's really important that you, particularly young people who are listening who might have ADHD or other neurodiverse characteristics that they know that this industry has welcomes them and will support them and understand them and and, um, yeah. and as you say can have a brilliant and amazing career. So um, yeah so thank absolutely. you for being so open with us with on that. We really appreciate it. Very welcome. We're um we're coming to the end of the podcast Chris but I'd love you
1: vanished. Oh well I these know. happen.
0: I know so but I'd love to before we wrap up just ask you, what are the three things that you absolutely love about this industry?
1: Uh, Narrow it down to three is a tough one. Uh, there's lots of things I like about the industry. But I think if I had to pick out my, my three, they are sort of, I think the number one has got to be the, the social and teamwork side of stuff. I think that the collaborative nature of something. I think for me, that really, I can't, I don't get a better buzz than turning around and and looking at a team that's delivered something that I've maybe put together or I've steered or I've advised to, to basically produce something that is that is a million times better than the sum of its parts. There's no better buzz for me than that to try and, you know, and that's, that's, I look back on everything that I've ever done and that's always been my best, the best moments that I've enjoyed the most. And I think that comes naturally with TV and broadcasting that I think if you're a team player and you enjoy that, if you're not a team player, there are still some careers in it I would just advise that you take it. You know, you, you 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 do make sure that you find the right environment for yourself. Uh, so that's really really important. Don't force yourself into an environment that doesn't make you feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. You've got to find your right environment, and that's if you're if you're the collaborative type. I, I I can't say enough about how fantastic I feel that that you know that's that's proper dopamine moments. Yeah, <laughs> so <yeah. laughs> that's that's definitely my number one. As an engineer, uh, technology has got to be number two.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: The technology just keeps changing and changing. And I think it's um, for somebody that likes technology and likes the diversity of technology, there's so much choice in there for you. So much choice. You know, whenever we recruit people, I'm excited for their future, that there's still, you know, we still bring in people that I can still see a really bright, complicated future of how the engineering will fit together in the future and how Mm. how much fun they're going to have with it. I think they're going to love it. And then the third one, Related to the first one, I think really that it is the the, 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 uh, the people. I think uh, the actual uh, the, the social side of stuff. I've made some awesome friends uh, through the industry, and and I think it's it's just a really good bunch, uh, and and I just love them all for that. I think it's I've had a. You know, so far I've had a fantastic career and, and I've, I've really enjoyed all the bits of the journeys through that. And then when I look back and think of all the best bits of it, it's always the people that I remember the most. It's always the, the, the friendships I've made, the, the times I've had with those people, that everything from, you know, setting up a, 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 a you know, the farm with a, a bunch of absolute mavericks to sitting in the Middle East on a flight case talking sort of absolute nonsense to somebody in the middle of a show waiting for... You know, people to leave before we can de rig and, and just ding. Uh, but but again, that was all the people. That was always the people. And they're they, always they the bits. And I think you find some really, really amazing people in this, in, in this industry who are generally just awesome souls. They're just awesome souls. And I think that's got to be my top three.
0: Amazing. I love them. They're brilliant top threes. And, and I agree. Yeah, they, they all make <laughs> sense. It's an amazing industry. Well, look, Chris, thank you so much for your time today absolutely welcome. loved hearing Great. your story yeah, yeah. thank
1: yeah. you I so much that, uh, anybody out there just you know just embraces everything grafts well and then and you know just loves what they do they find their their bit what they their thing that they love to do yeah and just uh when they find that they'll their career will just grow it, yeah. it will just grow
0: amazing thank you so much chris you're take welcome
1: care. all right cheers take care Bye bye